Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Today, our guest is Luke Wyatt. We will be talking some football, a couple of prominent Commodores in the transfer portal now, as well as some basketball after Vanderbilt won a close game with Wofford over the weekend. Luke appears on our guest line. That is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vanderbilt fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you find yourself in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call or text that number 615-830-9458. Tell him you heard about his company here. Now on to our interview with Luke Wyatt. Luke Wyatt joins us. It is Monday morning, December the 5th. Lots going on. The transfer portal opened today. Ray Davis made an announcement he would hit it last night. Mike Wright has hit the transfer portal just moments before we started the podcast this morning. Those will be prominent topics on the show today. Maybe some hoops also. Luke, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you being with us on a busy time of the year for everyone. Yeah, I love being here, uh, <clears throat> and it's a, it is a busy time of year for everyone. I got a little of my Christmas shopping done, and I'm ready to roll this morning. So uh, let's let's uh, get into it. Well, and before we do, um, special request here. Uh, Blake Lovell is one of my good friends. He's worked at our site before in the past. Uh, he's my partner on the SEC stuff. His grandfather passed this weekend. I know you're very close to that family, and so – just a, a start by requesting those of you who do pray, uh, keep the Lovell family in your prayers, please. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, Vanderbilt running back Ray Davis has hit the portal. I was in contact with someone on the staff last night, told that one was expected. Uh, the issue apparently Ray could not get into grad school at Vanderbilt and just as a pet peeve, I try to stay out of these, and I'm big on freedom of speech and letting people say what they want, whether it's something I agree with or something I think is totally dumb, but these are 20-something-year-old players. I don't know if I want to use the word kids. Sometimes that's a little disrespectful, but Ray Davis is a guy who has my ultimate respect. Ray is a guy who had parents who were incarcerated for a while, I believe. He was homeless. He worked his way into a scholarship at Temple, transferred to Vanderbilt, suffered a really bad injury. By the way, he was playing last year with an injury in fall camp, played through it into the season before it became too much to play through. Ray absolutely answered the bell every game this year. Now, sometimes it didn't go so well. Ray had his limits. He wasn't the fastest guy in the world. But he could block, he could catch passes. He seemed like a team first guy. The staff often you can tell what it thinks of a player by who it puts in front of the media. Ray was in front of us a good bit. Um I thought Ray played hard. 
Ray played through pain. Ray was durable. No, Ray was not blessed with top-end speed, uh, but that's beyond his control. I just have so much respect for Ray Davis and who he is, the way he conducted himself, the way he played. And I know some fans were taking the opportunity on social media and on boards here and there to downgrade him. Uh, I hate that kind of stuff. I have a lot of admiration for Ray Davis and wish him the best wherever he lands. Well, I echo those statements and then some. I uh, I can tell whoever is uh, being critical of Ray. First of all, you don't know what you're talking about because I think Ray wanted to stay. Uh, I don't know that for sure, and I don't want to speak for Ray, but I think there's just still some issues with grad school that uh, I don't know the ins and outs, and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone at Vanderbilt, but I just feel like there's got to be a smoother transition for our kids to get into grad school. I don't know what that can be. But anyway, I I think Ray didn't leave on his own accord. That's my opinion. Secondly, uh, if you think we'd have won five football games without Ray Davis, you're sadly mistaken. Ray was one of the toughest kids that's ever been at Vanderbilt. And there's been a bunch of them that that I would put in that category, 20 or 30. And he fits into that over all the years I've been around Vanderbilt. If uh, if you you can't say anything bad about a kid like Ray Davis, he is a survivor, is the way I put it. And uh, I wish him nothing but the best wherever he lands. Yeah, um, I, I'm right there with you on all that. Mike Wright is the other one. I'm not completely shocked, I guess. I'm not, I think Vanderbilt's I'm not, a better football team with Mike Wright next year, but A.J. Swan has been their guy for a while. It's been rather obvious. I still think Mike has some deficiencies in his passing game that are going to prevent him from being the, the kind of quarterback he probably needs to be to be a top-flight SEC quarterback. But he was a preseason team captain. He, he's played a lot of good football at Vanderbilt, and I also wish Mike Wright the best. Yeah, I do too. I, I, but I, I'm not surprised that Mike's gone. I, I think Mike was frustrated with the fact of okay, uh, we've won two SEC games with me as the starter, and then people are clamoring for AJ to come back. You know, I get that putting myself in Mike's shoes. Although I do agree, <clears throat> excuse me, that AJ is our best chance to win football games in the totality of things. Um, my biggest concern now is who's the backup. And who will that be? Will that be Dickey? Yeah. Uh, is Ken Seals? What's his situation? Are we going to get someone through a portal? Or the freshman coming in? I, I don't know. That's my biggest concern. We have to have a solid number two. Uh, this year, we had a little bit of a luxury with Mike and AJ, but uh, that's something you have to have, especially considering AJ's had his two concussions and uh, he's not as mobile as most quarterbacks and he could – he could miss some time again next year uh, for that same reason. Yeah, I know that Vanderbilt has had some other players announce they're coming back, Justin Ball being one of them. Uh, some other players who have not really announced anything. You've had some normal attrition guys who weren't playing, weren't going to play, that are either getting out of football or, or maybe moving on to, to somewhere else, I would presume. Mm-hmm. at a lower stop on the football food chain. What do you expect to happen from here on with the portal and Vanderbilt? 
I, you know, it, this is this the world we live in now. I, you know, it's it's new to Vanderbilt. It's new to everyone. <clears throat> you know, I I was looking last night at uh, on Rivals at the the portal. The there was like 151 kids at, at the very beginning, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Like Miami had the entire looks like the entire defensive backfields transferring because uh, there was like four or five defensive backs gone from Miami. So there is, are they leaving because of that coach? Are they leaving because of the defensive coordinator? Who knows? There's just so many, a myriad of reasons that the, these kids want to leave. And I think it's just so unpredictable of what will happen at Vanderbilt or what will happen at Tennessee or what will happen at Alabama. I don't, I, I don't think anyone knows. Um, there's kids out there that I know we're going to go after. I, I, I can't say who they are that I'm excited about. Um, and I expect us to have a couple of more that may hurt us that leaves. But at the same time, I just feel like the portal is so unpredictable that no one really knows how it's going to go down. Well, look, you're seeing all kinds of crazy stuff this morning. Notre Dame and Clemson have lost starting quarterbacks. They're both playing in major bowl games. Uh, speaking yeah. of, of coaching transfer portal, you had a, a Louisville coach flip to Cincinnati this morning when they're yeah. playing in, each other in a bowl game. I, I think this is the time where, like, this is all sort of necessary. Like, all the things with the portal and things were, in a lot of ways, and, and players getting paid were things that I think, in, in some ways, needed to happen. I, I would, I, I don't like the totality of all of it uh, and just the randomness of all of it and just the, the guys switching schools before bowl games and all that stuff. I mean, the NCAA really should have managed this better long ago. I, I hope we have a better future for college football because I just don't like the place it's in right now, although I do think it seems to have created a little more parity. Well, the the uh, I, again, I'm going back to blaming the NCAA. I, I've never been a big fan Completely. of the way they're structured. And, and, you know, they knew this was coming. Everyone knew it was coming. And my thing is, let's have a plan in place when it does come. It's one of those things of like, okay, you're you're being warned that a tornado's coming, and you don't you don't take the uh, proper precautions. It's the same thing, you know. And and the NCAA moves at such a snail's pace on everything, uh, it, you know. We haven't even heard yet, you know. I, I don't hear no talk about what's going to happen with Tennessee violations. Why does that take so long to sort out? We already know what has happened. Why do why do those things take so long? I don't get it. I, I don't understand it. Never will. Yeah, we're, we're what five years after the LSU thing broke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you just there's no excuse for that. I'm sorry. I don't know if they just think it's going to go away or or what. I I, I don't know. But uh, they into my they, there's a lot of and I had a friend that was that worked for a long time in NCAA and I used to bend his ear a bunch about it. And he said, well, Luke, there's processes you don't understand. There's so much red tape and legalities that we can't do things without being sued and this and that. And I said, well, something has to change because it's not working. Yeah. It's just has never been a visionary organization. And I blame the NCA for when the, the hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars were, were exchanging hands and – yeah. They sat on this notion that, that we don't <laughs> we don't owe the players anything, and if somebody takes a twenty five dollars steak dinner, uh, we'll use that as a means to put the school on probation. Just the the bookends of 
of the way the NCA was was stingy and capricious with its processes just are part of the reason well, we are where we are. Let let me give you a perfect example of an NCAA thing that happened while I was in Vanderbilt, and you're gonna your job. Is this the basketball parking passes? No, no, no. This is a lot okay. more petty than that. Um, Beth Bush, who was at Vanderbilt, she's now she was the commissioner, I think, of the OVC at one time. I'm not sure her title, but anyway, Beth was at Vanderbilt in compliance, and great lady. I'm, again, I'm not blaming Beth here. I'm blaming the NCAA because she's just you know instituting the rules. She comes to the window on, on, on game day mornings, uh, just so people kind of set a picture here. We have a huge like bank type window that we undid, undid, and then we had stuff sitting in the window for the kids, like their the strips, those towel strips. They had chewing gum, a little bit of candy, stuff like that uh, when they walked in for the game. Well, one morning she's out there when the team's coming in off the bus, and I'm standing at the window, and she said, Luke, do you know does – Women's soccer get this type of treatment. I said, what do you mean? And she said, you know, do they get chewing gum and candy at the window on their game days? I said, well, they're not. It's totally different. They don't even have a locker room where they're issued. They just have a locker room. Everything's in their lockers. Oh, well, we may have to stop giving this to the football players if we're not giving this to women's soccer as well. So it's, yeah. a, it's a violent. So, you right. know, that's how asinine. Some of the stuff was just ridiculous. Well, the, the two defenses I do have for the NCA is that the rules are set by membership. And so for teams to and schools to vote for things and then to not abide by those rules is, is hypocritical. And especially for the, the presidents who have input, when they've yeah. got coaches they know we're cheating – uh, and, and to stand by and, and watch it happen is is one thing. And the other thing is, of course, the NCAA in a large way does have its hands tied by Title IX, too. They do. They do. But anyway, we could we could talk a long time on that. Um, what are the chances you think Vanderbilt loses other needed pieces to its roster to the portal between now and next season? Oh, I think there's a good chance. Um, But not just Vanderbilt. I think all 14 teams in the SEC, I mean, and across the country, all 131, you're going to see things happen that you're going to be shocked about. Um, Just like I'm a little shocked by the Notre Dame quarterback's gone. Drew Pine and that one. Um, You know, they they just – it does – there's such a myriad of reasons for them to leave now that I mean, if one little thing can go wrong, they're out, you know. And and I, I just think it's unsafe. Uh, it's it's it's, and I don't want to be an old curmudgeon and say it's ruining college football, but it certainly isn't helping it in my the way I look at it. And I think this bowl season you're going to see even more so. You know, you got the kids that set out bowl games for you know that have a chance to go pro and so forth, but with the transfer portal and so forth. You don't even know who you're going to – you may have 30 less people if you're taking on your bowl trip from a team. Right, right. It's just a disaster right now, and I don't know yeah. how you – I don't know what, if anything, could be done with the timelines. Uh, the tampering is yeah. another issue. I just don't think you're going to stop the tampering either. That's not going to stop. Tampering's been going on just like the money exchanging hands since – well, from me, since the 70s. You know, uh, in fact, it was worse with the money thing back in those 70s and 80s, in my opinion. Uh, 
but yeah, they're not going to be able to stop that. No. So this, you're telling the stories with the money changing hands back before NIL and stuff were not, in your opinion, overblown. I saw it. I, phys- I, I actually saw it with my own two eyes on several occasions. Okay, give, give me examples without naming names. Uh, well, let me tell you the schools. I saw it when I was on a visit to Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, we were playing Oklahoma in football, and I got out there two days early. Uh, just happened to be at a function and at a restaurant and what a coach's show, radio show, and saw some things happen. I saw it at uh, University of Tennessee, and that was because a friend had tipped me off on when it was going down. I saw it at the University of Florida when I was down there. This is when I was young, and I could go early and didn't have to rely on going with the team before I was working full-time. And, and so that's just three. And I'm sure if I saw three randomly, <laughs> how much it went on. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. How much of an issue was it at, at Vanderbilt when you were there? And was it I an issue sometimes with particular coaches and not others? Uh, all I heard, I heard of, of rumors of coaches, again, in the 70s and 80s, but I never saw it. Like, And, and that's that's strange because I was there every day. But all that stuff goes on usually on the road at a uh, at a restaurant or a, a function or someone's a kid's home, that type of thing. Uh, you know, I don't know if you remember the story of Hartley Dykes. Uh, yes. Okay. Rick George, who was at Vanderbilt, who's now the AD at Colorado, who just hired Deion Sanders. Uh, Rick told me every detail about what went on with Hartley Dykes because he was in the middle of it. He, at the time, was a young GA, and he had been told he's the bag man. And he didn't know any difference. Now, he took a bad rap for it, but you know as well as I do, if you're 20 years old and your first job, you're going to do what the head coach tells you to do. And uh, he had to meet someone. Well, I'm not going to I better stop. But I, I don't want to incriminate you, make, make Rick look bad when it wasn't his fault, really. But anyway, yeah. I, uh, I tell you, I'll tell you this. <clears throat> it that that's how coaches did it. They would use someone else. So where if, if they got caught, they, that person would get thrown under the bus and they would look like, Oh, I had no idea this was going on. One of the world's best at that was Barry Switzer. Um, there's a detour here. I, oh, I know what it was. What speaking of Colorado, what did you make of the Deion Sanders hire? And will that one work? 
you know, it, it's funny. And again, I know Rick really well. Great guy. I love Rick George. Uh, Rick is a go-getter, high-energy guy. And I think it's a good match for him. Now, will Dion be a match for Colorado? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, and coming off the Carl Durrell hire, it's you talking about completely Ooh. different. It's usually what happens in football is you go from one type of hire to another, like we did with Franklin to Mason and uh, that type of thing. So, uh, you know, I think it'll be one of those sugar rushes like I, like we had with James Franklin. I think it could be that type of thing. Yeah, it looks like he already announced his son as the starting quarterback, which seems like an odd way to do things. <laughs> Listen, I think he's I mean, where, where could that go wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of odd ways he does things, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, back to Vanderbilt football, the portal signing day coming up. Any prevalent thoughts there before we move on to hoops for a minute? And then, we'll, of course, we'll hit the mailbag. No, like I said, I, it's just so unpredictable. I don't want to make any predictions about it. I do think there'll be a couple of more hits to us, but I also think we're going to benefit from it. Now, we won't know that probably for a while or maybe during spring ball or that type of thing, but I think we're going to benefit from other people's problems uh, and, and uh, departures, just like we're going to lose a few. So it's it's basically just playing playing a game of cards, and hopefully you wind up with the best hand. That's what That's what you're looking at. Okay, to the latter, is that knowing something that you can't come clean on, or is that just a gut feeling? Well, no, that's not. That's knowing of two or three things that I can't come clean on. However, when I say that, that doesn't mean I know who's leaving. That means I know who's right. probably coming. Does that make sense? I, yeah. I can tell what cards we may be dealt, but I'm not sure what cards we're losing. Okay, fair enough. You want to move on to hoops. Sure, let's talk hoops, yeah. Were you at the Wofford game? I was not. My kids both had ball games Saturday, so I was kind of watching the box score for a while, and then I watched most of the second half. Wofford nearly beat LSU, what, a week or two ago. Right. Uh, in my mind, Liam Robbins is his team's best player, and, and, and he makes up for some weaknesses for sure. Well, I, I think with the Wofford game, it, it, you know, Styles make the make the game, and and, and Wofford, and when we played St. Mary's and people like that, I, I I don't think those are good matchups for Vanderbilt. I just don't. Vanderbilt needs to play a team like Temple, that those that style, and and I I, I just think that without Jordan Wright for sure, uh, you know, you saw how poorly he played with his back injury uh, the game before against VCU. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with setting Jordan. He's not going to help us until he's 100%. Uh, so I I was happy just to win the game, honestly. Um, and uh, I, there's one kid that I'm high on. I, I don't know if you are or not, but I really like Paul Lewis. I think he's going to help us when he gets back. And I think it's uh, I think this game coming up with Pitt Wednesday is huge. And the reason I say that is I thought going into the season, you know, you predict wins and losses, and I feel like we needed to go nine and four in non-conference. So that being the case, we need to win the last five. Uh, NC State and Pitt, I think, are the two biggest threats to that not happening. So I think Pitt is one of those must-wins. Yeah, I'm looking at Ken Palm right now, 
and it's not a really pretty picture of what's happened. Um, Vanderbilt is, let's see, it, it's got two losses to two teams outside the Ken Palm top 100. One Southern Miss, which has moved up to 180. The other is VCU. No, Ken Palm builds in a good bit of preseason bias. I think that starts to weed out, I want to say, after 10 games. That's from memory. That's not me saying that as a fact, so I could be wrong. And it could change from year to year. Uh, of course, St. Mary's and Memphis were also losses. Both those were double digits. Memphis is 25. St. Mary's is 27. Best win so far at Temple, which is 92 in Ken Palm. Of course, that came on the road in overtime. And they just turned around and beat BCU, who we lost to. So, you know, it just yeah. – And I watched the Ole Miss-Memphis game Saturday night. And uh, I think Memphis has a chance to be really good. I really do. They, they, uh, they yeah, that's an athletic. old team they can defend. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, 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 I like their makeup, and they play hard. They play really hard. They remind me of a poor man's Houston. I guess would be the way I'd put it. Yeah, Houston may be the best team in the country, by the way. Well, they they get after it. I watched their game against St. Mary's the other night, and St. Mary's stayed with them for a long period of time, uh, just because again of style of play. Um, but uh, Houston's tough. They're really good. They really they defend. They they challenge every shot. Did you get a chance to watch the Jerry Stackhouse debacle in Richmond? I saw it. I I, I was here's what I here's my take on it, Chris, and then you can tell me yours. I I'm a, I get frustrated. You know, I, I've even said this on the show about football and basketball and all time veteran. People think it's sour grapes or whatever, but I know for a fact that there's a bias against Vanderbilts, and not just Vanderbilt, a lot of schools like a Vanderbilt that happens. It just does. And then I, I hear that one of those referees is one of Calipari's buddies that he paid to go on a trip to the Bahamas with him or something silly like that. The fact that the NCAA lets that go on is ridiculous too. But anyway, uh, I think Jerry just took it one step too far, in my opinion. I had no problem with him getting technical. I think it was time for him to stop, like he said, the foolishness. It was ridiculous the way they were letting them be handsy, and we couldn't be handsy. Um, and then the the crap with the tapping the head, calling it that. You, you see guys turn cartwheels nearly after making dunks and making yeah. all kinds of gestures. And call that on a kid who basically got, he got fouled. He got an elbow in the head when he dunked it. It should have been an and one, and then you assume that what he's doing, which he, he admitted was the little tap on the head means I just dunked on your head. I get that. But to call a technical and him, the re- official that's back at midcourt, you know, to me, he's looking for stuff. And I, But I, uh, uh, getting back to Jerry's meltdown, I think that, again, the one technical, fine, but then stop it. That's it. You've made your point. You've cussed the guy out, he gets it, and then turn your back and walk back to the bench. And uh, because those six points wound up possibly being the difference in the game. Yeah, my issue, and I, I see it both ways. I don't blame Jerry Stackhouse for being mad. And I, I don't remember seeing it. I was I was a little distracted right when all that went down. I had um I had something else going on, and and there was I think one of his complaints was that 
there was some carrying on on the other end of the floor that was worse than what Vanderbilt did. Uh, and, uh, and if that was w- – w- I'm sorry. A lot worse. Okay. Well, and if that's the case, I, I don't blame her for being mad. Um, Second thing, and, and, and this is where my thing with him all along has been – Putting in the time and being prepared, again, that was a point of emphasis in the offseason. I question how much that had been hammered home to his team. Maybe that's unfair. But when something's a point of emphasis, you need to make sure your kids are prepared. So, a letter of the law, I don't blame him for calling the technical. Now, I have heard it said, and I've said this on another show, Officials can also give a warning in that situation. I mean, it, it's been done at other places, and I think, frankly, under the circumstances, that was the right call. Now, eight FUs and the ensuing debacle was completely unwarranted, and you look back and you wonder, if he could have had some self-control, does the game end a little differently? Yeah, that's that's my whole thing. He just, And I understand you when your emotions, trust me, i I've been there just as an equipment manager. On and the some, look, sometimes you need that. You need that from your coach yeah. at times. You need a guy that will fight for you and stand up. And, and in that respect, I don't blame Jerry for it. No, I don't either. I've seen uh, Nate Oates do the same thing at Alabama. I've seen Musselman do it at Arkansas. You know, I do the same type thing where they just dog cuss a referee and get double technicals and get tossed. So I've seen it. Um, it, it, it hurt us more because it was such a tight game the other night. And it, and like I said, it could have made the difference, but you know, I, I get, I guess my problem, you know, you, going back to what you said, they usually give a warning. I see it all the time throughout a game, a, a, an official, whether he's handing the ball to the kid to inbound it or whatever, after a play, they'll, they'll whisper in their ear to not do something, or they'll tell them as they walk to a free throw line, they'll walk over and t- address a kid. That's the way that stuff should be addressed. Liam Robbins is not the type of kid that's going to be out there making all types of gestures and stuff. He just did a gentle head tap, which, and was not, didn't say anything that I saw. And what I do, Chris, and I know you probably don't have time to do it. I'll rewind that stuff and watch it to see if I missed something. Uh, because, you know, when you watch some stuff at real time, a lot of times you miss what's going on. And, and there was absolutely nothing to that. He just got fouled. In fact, when he first yeah. did it, I thought what he was gesturing for was that yeah. he caught the, yeah, where's the file? You know, that's what I thought. But at any rate, it it, uh, it was just a one step too far, in my opinion, for Jerry. But again, I almost understand it. Yeah, and that was adding insult to injury. Not only did you get whistled for a technical, but if you call the foul in the first place, yeah, uh, who, who knows? Maybe, maybe the seconds that came after go differently and – you're the one shooting free throws rather than the other team shooting six and getting the ball. Yeah. It's just, yeah. You know, I, again, I, I see it. I saw it in uh, several other basketball games. I watch it and I, I understand. I think basketball by far is the hardest game to officiate. I do, but I think there's so much anticipation of things and things that they look for that are, it's just wrong. Just officiate the game. Blow the whistle when you see something. Don't wait and think or blow the whistle and then hope that it happens the way you think it's going to happen. Yeah, big few games coming up. They're going to basically have to run the table, maybe go four and one between yeah, now they, and the start of the SEC yeah. season if there's going to be any postseason. 
Yeah, I think you're talking about. I, I said first year. I think you and I may have discussed it. I, I discussed it with a friend. I had us going eighteen, thirteen, or seventeen, fourteen, and that meant nine to ten wins in the non-conference, and then eight to eight or nine wins in conference. When I look at the league, um, and my, I may be getting ahead of you here on some stuff, but I feel like we are as good as on a, on a given day. We're as good as Ole Miss. We're as good as Georgia, South Carolina. We can play with. Uh, I think Missouri is, is fool's gold at nine and zero. I've watched them play. They can run. They can score some points, but they don't defend anybody. But, so I think Missouri, when we get into conference play, that'll change. Uh, I may be wrong, but that's just my opinion. I've seen every team play except Texas A&M, and uh, seen most of them play multiple games. Uh, as you can tell, I'm retired, Chris, so I get to do this. <laughs> uh, uh, at any rate, I just think there's about five or six teams in this league that we can definitely be as good as or better. Uh, scheduling is important. I, you know, I think we get to play. Is it Georgia we play twice or Carolina we play twice? Uh, I believe it is Carolina. It might be both. Let me double check. Get them both twice. That's good. I think you can win three or four of those. No, they get uh, Georgia once and Carolina. Tw- Carolina is the worst team in the league. Um, here's the teams they get twice. They get Carolina. They get Tennessee, which is probably top three in my opinion. They get Kentucky twice, which Kentucky has been disappointing, but there's a lot of time left. I think that still may be the most talented team in the league. They get Alabama twice. Alabama is scary talented. Oh, man, they They, are. I, they get yeah. Florida twice. Florida's been a little bit of a disappointment to me so far. Uh, they could get one of those potentially. And then there's one more twice game in there, and I'm not spotting it. I, 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 uh, I, got, I have it this way. I have the five teams in no certain order. Uh, Auburn, Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky is the top five teams. That's the the way I have it. And then I have I, I have our matchup. Florida was another one I was going to mention that we have a chance to because matching up Castleton, we can match up their size with Castleton against uh, Liam. So I, I like our matchup with Florida. Uh, I, I just think there's no one else outside those five that really scare you. I know Mississippi State and Missouri have started off really well. But again, I th- I'm not so sure that they're as good as their record. I think Mississippi State and Missouri are good teams. Uh, NCAA tournament teams right now, that could change. Mississippi State has got a lot of returning experience, and I didn't really know how that would go under a new coach and Chris Jans. Right now, it appears to be going really well. Uh, not only stayed unbeaten, but it's got a couple of quality wins in there. Mm-hmm. I think Missouri, I really like Dennis Gates. I think he's a tremendous coach. They've got a lot of talent. Uh, he's been trying to send some discipline messages early. I think sitting a couple of his better guys for some time. Uh, you know, you're right. The defense has been a, a train wreck, but they are scoring a lot of points. And he is, I mean, look what he did at Cleveland State. He did a phenomenal job there. The, the yeah, teams that I'm disappointed in, or A&M in Florida, A&M, um, I had a sneaking suspicion A&M was a little bit overrated. That's kind of how it's played out so far. Although having said that, Buzz Williams, his teams always seem to peak. 
later in the year, which they did a year ago. So I wouldn't write them off yet, but I, I was suspicious that they weren't as good as people thought. Lindy's even had them second in the league. I thought that was absurd. And in Florida, and a lot of Florida depends on Castleton and whether he gets the ball or not. He's had some 30-point games where he gets a lot of touches. Lately, he's been getting six, seven, eight shots a game, and they're a different team when that happens. Right. You know, Chris, every show I want to ask you a question, and this is getting back to Vanderbilt basketball. Um, Help me understand one thing that I don't understand with our rotations. And I know he's still fiddling with it, but at some point you got to win games. Uh, why some games, you know, you, you just randomly, all of a sudden, Anson's not playing. He did play a little the other night. And then you, you see a Ben Coffin in the game. And then one game, Noah Shelby sees the floor, and the next game he doesn't. What, what do you make of the random, this guy's going to play tonight but may not play the next three games, then he pops back up three games later? Well, first of all, I'll find some humor here. If they're playing their director of football ops, and they're really in trouble. What did I say? Ben Cawthon. <laughs> oh, what is the Cawthon? What's the kid's name, the the walk-on? Um, oh, goodness. His They've got a Cawthon. couple that play. They get Miles Keith. Miles Keith is one of them. What of them is um, Cawthon? Probably said the name, first name, but obviously wrong. Yeah, let, let's I see. Who are you th- it's um, Gra- Graham, Graham Calton. Yes. Graham Calton. Calton. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty unintentional funny. humor. I like it though. <laughs> but Grant, you know, and then wh- what happens there? What the randomness of all that? Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. My fear for them coming in the year is they had more parts than really stud players. And I think that's what it is. I think when you've got parts, Parts fit differently one night to the next. Now, I think that Liam Robbins, and this is what I think Jerry's going to have to realize, Liam's their best player hands down. I did not understand the the starting the year on the bench thing that they did. He did that with Saban Lee his first year too. I I don't really know what that's about. Uh, And Jordan Wright is a guy who can really help. I don't think Jordan Wright was the – the go-to guy a lot of people wanted him to be. I just think that a lot of, you know, when you're playing with Scottie Pippen Jr. as your point guard, things flow a lot differently, and they're finding that out this year. And the back thing does scare me because back injuries can be really tricky. I don't know if his is muscle or disc or whatever. I don't know if they've released the details of that, but that that's a thing where – and and it maybe it costs them a game or two here or there against an NC State or Pitt, but that's a thing that like I sit him out if he's ninety percent because I worry about that popping back up. And they've got to have Jordan Wright healthy. I know it took a little bit of a detour there, but those are some thoughts. No, no, I, I agree with you, and and I, I got to be honest with you, if if it's a disc type thing. This sport is the worst one to be playing when you're doing all the twisting and pivoting and that type of thing. It, it, yeah, it's you. You could lose someone for the whole year if you bring them back too early. This is bugging me. I've, I've forgotten who the the other team they play twice is. South Carolina's one, Tennessee's one, Alabama's one, Kentucky is one, and I cannot. Oh, Florida's the other one. Okay, so that is yeah. that is all five. Said Florida. Yeah. Um, so. 
Yeah, I mean, look, you Alabama is scary good. Uh, Kentucky, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky are all Final Four type teams. Florida, I don't know. South Carolina, that is absolutely the the team in the league you want to play twice. What's your feelings on Arkansas? I have them in that same group. Oh, they're they're scary talented. Yeah, um, I, I, they've been playing with mostly without Nick Smith, who's supposed to be their best player. Anthony Black, their other freshman point guard is phenomenal. I, I think if I had Anthony Black, I don't know that I'd trade him for another guard in this league. Well, I, I will say this. I think it's what's going to come down to, unless we just lose to Pitt, lose to NC State, and God forbid somebody else in the non-conference. If if we don't lose both of those games, it's going to come down to going 8-10 and 10 or 9-9 nine, nine in the league. And then come tournament time, we're going to have to win one or two in the SEC tournament. And I think yeah. then we'd be squirting the bubble. Ken Pomeroy has got them fourteen and seventeen overall and six and twelve in the league. Right. That's that's what I figure most people would. You know, but and we go back, we talk about this in football as well. Would you have thought our two SEC wins would have been against Kentucky and Florida? It's just like last year, we started out the SEC season winning at Arkansas. Did we think that was possible? No. So you don't know. You know, we look at the schedule and we think this is the teams they have a chance to beat. And then you're going to wind up beating somebody you don't expect. And then you're going to lose somebody you shouldn't. So uh, that's the reason why I think 8 and 10 and 9 and 9 has got to be the benchmark for this team. They, yeah, let's say, okay, let's say they run the table, go 5 and 0. They've only got to hit the road one time in that span. That puts them 9 and 4. And at that point, maybe they have a maybe a ten or fifteen percent shot to make the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, go, go any less than that, and it really starts shrinking. Uh, but man, the opening to the season after South Carolina, they go to Missouri, go to Tennessee, Arkansas here, and Alabama at home. Uh, in, in fact, well, they they are. They're favored by Ken Palm to beat South Carolina, and then they are underdogs in the next eight. Well, I, you know, I, which I they're not. They're, I don't think they're going to go one and nine. Don't get me wrong, right? Uh, or one and eight, or one and seven, whatever it is. But that that is not an easy start to the season. Well, and and not only that, it, it all depends on Jordan Wright's health, and then if uh, you know the things with Liam. And uh, his foul trouble and the not starting him type stuff, I have a little problem with that. Let me, I, I want to get off the rails just a bit here. I meant to say it a minute ago. I'm not a big believer. I know when, when someone gets two fouls, it's like they're gone for the whole half. You can get two fouls. You know, oh, to me. You, hey, Luke, you are preaching to the choir here. I mean, that, that it's you let the fear of this guy is not going to be playing become a self-fulfilling prophecy in real time. Yeah, so basically what you're doing is saying, okay, the first half doesn't matter. We're going to have to win this game in the second half. Basketball doesn't work that way. You've got to, you know, to me, I understand taking him out after the two fouls, let him think about it, get his bearings and free focus and try not to get the third one. But then after about the next four-minute block, put him back in the game and then see how it works. I've seen many times when kids with two fouls go back in and don't get another foul the rest of the game. So, you know. Uh, I feel like sometimes that's overblown, sitting a kid for the whole half. And a lot of coaches do it. I'm not just saying Stackhouse. 
I see coaches do it every single game I watch. And I don't I don't get that. They're, they are going to have to ride with Liam Robbins. There is almost no doubt about it in my mind. Like if, if he has an all SEC type season, then maybe they sneak into the NIT. But I think I think without that, I just don't see a path. Uh, well, I, I think it's a little better than that, depending on Jordan Wright's health. If Jordan Wright doesn't come back and play like Jordan Wright did last year at the end of the season, then yeah, you're correct. But if Jordan does come back, that's not. And something else they got to do, I don't care. If they have set four screens every time they come down, set screens to get Miles Studi open. He's the best three-point shooter I've seen, and he's the best in the league last year. Get him shots. I, I, get the guy shots. He can fill it up, and and why you don't just run plays designed just for him a lot more than they do? I don't understand that. Uh, back to one more thing before we hit the mailbag: Are we in agreement that Robbins is hands down their best player? Oh, there's no question. I thought okay. he was. That's Pippen. Yeah, last year was hard to tell just because it, it felt like he was spending what a lot of his help? time just getting back into basketball shape, and we didn't see. We we didn't. I wouldn't even call it peak Liam Robbins. We didn't see. Um. Reasonably, Liam Robbins. Liam Robbins, for lack no, of a better I, way to put it, most of last year. I just think about how well he played against uh, Dayton in that NIT game. Yeah, to me, yeah. Liam Robbins is because by that time he was healthy, and if we could have kept playing. Uh, I think Liam was the type of kid could have led us to an NIT championship. With a, I guess we lost a really close game to Xavier. So, you know, Liam was the difference in that. I think. I mean, his block at the end of the game saved the game, basically. Yeah, he it's went. Saved. Let's see, nine, fourteen, four, and nine. His last four games, uh, the nine being the last game at Xavier, he had seven boards in that one. I guess he only that was his only blocked shot. Of course, he did lead the big. 10 in blocks two years ago, as everybody, yeah. I presume, knows. I think he's going to be way up there in the SEC. I think he'll be one of the top three or four, him and Sheboy, and possibly Castleton. All right, got a couple mailbag questions if you're ready. Sure. Okay, the mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk. As I scramble for my papers here, Sutherland and Belk is a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Dusty Orlean says, what will the portal tell us about Clark Lee's vision for the program? Interested is kind of an open-ended. Does it tell us guys not going to the portal or buying in? People leaving the portal or clearing house for more talent? Lee's ability to entice new transfers, et cetera. I think you just look at last year where we brought in Brammer and uh, Ray Davis year before. I mean, I think you're going to see similar type thing numbers, maybe five transfers in. Uh, a lot of it will depend on if we have, uh, if we lose more players than we anticipate. Now, how a coach can anticipate if a kid's leaving, they probably have a pretty good feel right now of who's going to leave and who isn't. And, uh, I just feel like that our numbers are never going to be great in the transfer portal, but I think we'll uh, we'll just go by what we lose is how how hard we hit the portal. 
Yeah, I know this for a fact. There is some needed attrition. I also know they're not going to go just shopping for guys um, no. where they think they've got guys who can play, who have waited their turn in line for an opportunity. He's been developmental from the start. I think, and this is, these are my words and not theirs. I think it sends the wrong message to, or it sends a message they don't want to send if they start recruiting over capable players who've waited their time to get their shot when other guys leave. Now, I know know some fans aren't going to like the sound of that, and I get it, but I think it's always been a long-term culture build. And I do wonder, and you see this in baseball at particular schools a lot too, where guys sit and they, they're told, well, we, we've waited our time. And, and all of a sudden, you know, it's your, your third or fourth year and you've, you've been behind on all SEC guy and, and bang, whatever, whatever playing time you thought you've earned by sitting and waiting patiently is gone when you cherry pick a kid who hits the portal from another school. And again, that's the way Tim Corbin has built his program too. And and I get you can be under aggressive in the portal, but I know that's going to be their approach is they want to be able to, I think, back up the promises they made to kids about waiting your time and earning your spot rather than just, you know, wipe out two or three years of hard work in one fell swoop by, by signing a transfer. I totally agree with that. And if they, if they don't do it that way, then we're going to lose in the long run because then you're going to have a lot more kids transferring out if you start doing that. I'm really interested to see what happens to these programs in a year or two when a coach has made it clear time and time again that I don't really care what you've done. If we can get a player that's 5% better than you out of the portal, um, you know, your butt's going to be on the bench. I just don't think that and, – and obviously there are degrees. Um, it, it's more nuanced than just that. But I do wonder how do you build culture at a program long term when it's always a revolving door and you're the guy sitting on the bench going, well, you know, I think I've earned my time. But based on what's happened around me years before – you know, am well, I just wasting my time knowing I'm about to be recruited over? In my opinion, the perfect the guy you're talking about, whether you mean to be, is Lane Kiffin. I think he is a portal portal guy. But here's where I think Lane looks at it. I'm going to do it. If it doesn't work, then I'm going to jump ship anyway and stay ahead of the game, and I'll go somewhere else and do the same thing. Yeah. I, I think you're going to see a lot more coaches' movement, too, with this portal stuff. Well, you again, you you saw one today uh, who's about to play yeah, in a bowl exactly. game, and I and exactly. I kind of don't blame the coaches for that because you no. you have a an off year or you you know things don't start off exactly like you want to. Yeah, you can have one good year, and if you backslide the next year, you're gone. If you're a coach, you almost always have to be looking for the better opportunity after you've been at a place four or five years, unless you're just absolutely killing it. I agree with you. I think it's changed the entire landscape of the way college football is perceived and the way it's going to work for the next until, again, until, and I've said this before, at some point, I certainly hope that there's some type of cap on things with the NIL money and there's some type of 
change in the way. And, and this, the COVID thing is also muddied the waters, you know, without no the COVID place. So that's, that's, that's made it even more confusing. I hate it because you got kids that are coming out of high school that would be getting scholarships right now that aren't getting them. Well, how much would we like to have a do-over just on the whole 2020 oh. seasons? I mean, oh, in, in every sport across the board. Absolutely. From a Vanderbilt perspective, I think we may have had a another College World Series in baseball, possibly. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's aggravating, but yeah, it's just of course everybody was in the same boat, so you know it was what it was. Last one, V Awards. Lots of talk going on with the final college football playoff set and analyses of who would be in the eventual twelve team playoff. What's Luke's take on how the twelve team playoff was finalized? Do you feel like the four buys, or do you like that the four buys go to the highest ranked conference champs? Well, no, I I don't think that. I mean, why would you change? Supposedly, you, you you're now saying the four best teams. Why would you change that? I don't know, but I don't think twelve is the number. I think it should have gone from four to eight, in my opinion. Um, why do you jump to twelve from four? I don't know. I mean, like right now, you would have what a uh, Florida State being in it now, a three three loss team possibly. I mean, if you lose three football games, now we're now we're talking about stuff like the NFL, where a team might get in at eight and nine uh, as a playoff team. You know, I, I I just think it's wasting time. But again, it's all about money, so I wouldn't doubt if it doesn't expand further than twelve in the next five years. Yeah, I I like the twelve. I like the fact that. A Tulane or somebody else still has a pathway to get in. No, are they going to win any games? Probably not. But it's like your NCAA tournament moment, right? When you're yeah. you're 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 when you're you're Drake or somebody, and have a once in every thirty year kind of season, and you get your name called, and uh, everybody yeah. goes crazy, and you got the whole week to talk about it. You've got the whole year to. Think about well, hey, what if we get in the NCAA tournament and all that? I just think the buildup and the incentive is still important here, and I think it's and look for for Vanderbilt too. I mean, go back under James Franklin, Vanderbilt wasn't far off from you know no. pull, pulling an upset here or there, and maybe you're one of those teams that gets in the playoff. Now that that's probably a stretch, but my point is I like to incentivize. Everybody and right now you just get to you get to November and you got eight teams that have got something to play for and and a couple of them are fools gold and you got an Alabama that lost a couple of games on last second plays. I just like the the movement towards the twelve and all that comes with it a lot more than I do what we have now. Um, you know it's funny. I I think back to and I'm I'm such an old man, but people don't. I don't know if people remember this, but in 1982, Vanderbilt came as close as they've ever come to going to the Sugar Bowl. We lost yeah. to Georgia, uh, and we were leading going in the fourth quarter and lost to Georgia. If we win that game, Vanderbilt would have been in the Sugar Bowl because back then, it they took who had not like who had been who had not been at the longest. So, so obviously, that would have been Vanderbilt because uh, we would have been tied uh, and would have gone to the Sugar Bowl. I think, wow. A day like that would be great. So what you're speaking of here, uh, allowing a Vanderbilt to be in the mix would be tremendous for our fan base. 
Yeah, and look, that that's a stretch. Maybe you know, maybe Missouri would be a better example when Missouri you know got in the league and and won the East a couple of times. But it gives it gives most teams something that they can make every few years without you know having to squint too hard. Let me ask you this, Chris. I, I only watched the top four last night. I haven't looked at the top twenty-five on the final. Was Tulane even in the top twelve? I thought they were like sixteen. Ah, uh, let me look it up. I think what no. they don't they have an exemption that the top-ranked non-power Power five. five gets in. Maybe I don't know. If that's the case, then they would be definitely be in. Definitely be in. But I I know nationally ranking national ranking still had them like fifteenth or sixteenth. Yeah, let's see where the playoffs settled. Um, Tulane was 16. Yeah. I mean, it's, to me, how do you have other – there's a lot of teams I think they could beat that are above them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's It's tough to, to see one for sure. Uh, by the way, they were one spot above LSU. How ironic is that? Um, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like South that. Carolina was 19 – for what it's worth, uh, Mississippi State twenty-two. Troy was also in there at twenty-four. Troy went eleven and two, followed by UTSA, which also went eleven and two. Yeah, Troy toward the end of the year in the last few, few games, putting up some incredible numbers offensively. Troy lost its opener to Ole Miss, and then lost one more the rest of the year. I think, yeah. and I think their coach was in his first or second year there. I think it's John Sumrall. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Anyway, well, that's it for the mailbag. Any other parting thoughts before we end the show today? I uh, would like to say something to the board and to the fans about Wednesday night. Uh, the game against Pitts at 8 o'clock. Uh, I don't know if Vanderbilt's even put this out there, but they're going to be honoring the 88 team that went to the Sweet 16 with uh, Will Perdue, Barry Goheen, Steve Reese. Some of those guys will all be coming back, Scott Droud. Uh, so if you weren't planning on coming to the game, come to that one. You you can uh, see those guys get, I guess, honored is the way you put it. But uh, anyway, that's supposed to go on Wednesday night. Luke, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you again next Monday, hopefully. Thanks, Chris. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk, Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group, and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.